Hello, and welcome to the Phuket Stories Podcast. I'm your moderator, Saigon Steve. On this special podcast episode, we'll talk with military personnel who were stationed in Vietnam and talk with them about their extraordinary experiences. This podcast is pre-recorded, but you're invited to participate on future podcasts by emailing your contact information to phuketstories at gmail.com. That's phuketstories at gmail.com. So let's get started with today's special guests. Today we have two special guests, Jan Scruggs, who was a United States Army veteran who served in the Vietnam War and later founded the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, which built the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. You probably know it as The Wall. Also today, Larry Nordhauser. Larry joined the United States Navy and went to Vietnam, which we're all going to hear about. Jan, take it away. Thank you. Uh, I want to say that in my career, I've met many outstanding people throughout the country and uh, memorable people. And Larry is, uh, has a very unique and fantastic story. It's a very much an American story. Why don't you tell us, Larry, a little bit about how your parents ended up in the United States and why? Uh, well, it was uh, during the uh, war, and my parents are from Germany and from Vienna, and they left the country. Uh, both have very unique stories about leaving Germany and certainly Vienna and coming to the United States, and uh, that makes me the first American in the family, so uh, it was an interesting story. The interesting part about the story is they all left their respective countries in the middle of the night, they left with absolutely nothing, and uh, my dad was one of uh, four children, and uh, my mom was a only child, and they left Vienna, and their story is kind of interesting because they also left with nothing except my grandfather. My mother's father was a dentist, and uh, he took all of the gold that he had that he used in his dental business and put it in the head of a doll that my mother carried uh, <laughs> and had no idea that she was carrying a doll with a head full of gold. And uh, they made it to the United States on a long journey. They actually wound up spending six months in Cuba because the United States uh, had a quota and they had to take a number and they uh, both made it to the United States and my parents met uh, when they were probably seven or eight years old and they were in Washington Heights in New York. That's an amazing story. And now we're going to ask you kind of the hard part. Here it is, what, what year, 1968, and you've got a military obligation there. You're certainly willing to do your part as a citizen. So you go see the Navy recruiter, and what does the Navy recruiter tell you? <laughs> well, well, here's what's interesting is when I was in high school, you know, I, I was not the best student in the world, and I worked as a dental technician while I was going to high school. I knew the Vietnam War was coming up, and, and I said, this is something I should get in front of, and I joined the Naval Reserve. 
you know, the Naval Reserve had a two-year active duty program, and I figured, well, if I had to yeah. go to Vietnam, at least I'd be on a ship. Things didn't work out that way. <laughs> I, I actually went to boot camp, and I went on active duty, and after active duty, because I was a dental technician while I was going to high school, they said, oh, dental technician, corpsman, same thing, this is what you should be doing. So after boot camp, I went to medical field service school, and then I went to Camp Pendleton and became a part of the Fleet Marine Force, which means they took all of my Navy uniforms away and gave me Marine fatigues, and uh, I did have a Navy insignias on them. After my second boot camp in Camp Pendleton with the Marines, I then found myself on the way to Vietnam. And when you got there, what was the first week or two like? Well, <laughs> I got there for the beginning of the Tet Offensive. Okay, great timing. Yeah, really good timing. So uh, I, I found that my whole Navy career was all about bad timing. And this just kind of followed suit because, you know, I wasn't on a ship anymore. I was attached to a Marine Air Wing, and I got in country in Da Nang, uh, and all of a sudden, the ground started shaking on a regular basis, and it was incoming mortar. And, you know, so I got a very quick understanding as to what incoming meant and uh, where the bunkers were. You know, so it was uh, certainly enlightening. And as things work out, when I was in Da Nang, I actually got assigned to a Marine Air Wing. Our mission was to uh, do medevac missions uh north of uh, Da Nang. So mm -hmm. I actually spent a couple of uh, months in Da Nang uh, working there, and then I got assigned to Quang Tri, which was MAG-39, Marine Air Group 39, and it was a much smaller base, and it was much closer to the DMZ. I, I had a very uh, active career <laughs> you know, with, uh, with the Marines. Well, let me... Uh ask you, because a lot of people listening to this podcast can't quite imagine what it's like being in a helicopter and having people with rifles shoot the helicopter and having bullets go over your head and, you know, how would you describe that experience? And how many times were you under enemy, that kind of enemy fire? Well, you know, I, I was part of a crew on a, uh, a 46 helicopter, and we did have two door gunners, and I remember on many occasions yelling through my headset about, we are there to pick up the wounded, we are not there to be part of the uh, mission, and when we are under fire, even though we had 250 caliber machine guns, mm. we were not a gunship. We yes. were supposed to land after the uh, firefight was over. Anyone that flew in helicopters in Vietnam and was subject to ground fire, the bullets just passed through the helicopter's skin because it was really thin. So the only metal we had was the platform. And, uh, you know, the comic thing was when we got into firefights, we took our helmets off and sat on them. So, uh, you know, we were protected in one vital area. But, uh, you know... I can tell you that, you know, everything about Vietnam was a new experience for me. I mean, it just, yeah. you can't possibly be prepared for, you know, 
being shot at. You can't be prepared for a firefight. But, you know, when the helicopter lands and, uh, you know, your mission is to go out and get the wounded, get them on the, you know, the helicopter and get them back to base, you know, that's the only focus that you have. What kind of weapons did you carry? Did you carry a handgun? or I, ca- I carried a forty-five, and I carried an M-16. I, I was prepared to uh, defend my patient, and that's the reason we were given forty-five to, uh, you know, protect your patient. Did you think you were going to make it through Vietnam without getting killed or wounded? You know what? It, it was one of those things that everyone was in the same situation, Everyone was very positive, and it was a day-to-day environment. No mm-hmm. one really looked, you know, down the road. Although I did have a wonderful experience, uh, I did go to Da Nang for the Bob Hope Christmas show, and uh, that was the only form of reality that we had. Was whoa, mm-hmm. Bob Hope? I mean, it was just <laughs> you know he was always on stage with a bunch of girls and you know, kind of brought, you know, uh, civilization back to life. And, and Da Nang was, was a much more secure base than uh, up in Quang Tri, which is where I was stationed. Why don't you tell our listeners, uh, you paid a little bit of a price for your your time in Vietnam because you were subjected to uh, some herbicides. Well, yes, uh, I am uh, being taken care of by the VA right now for uh Agent Orange exposure, and uh, it, it took a long time for these things to develop and for the VA to recognize these certain diseases that people that served in Vietnam uh, were subject to. And in 2010, the VA had a list of, of certain diseases and uh, issues that people had uh you know, that the VA started uh, taking care of and compensating us for. So, you know, this is goes back now 50 years, and I do yeah. remember Agent Orange and the Marines that were going around the perimeter with these packs on their back spraying this Agent mm-hmm. Orange because it's a defoliant. And, mm-hmm. uh, it had devastating, you know, consequences uh, to a lot of uh, veterans. Or has anyone ever asked you, um, what do you think about the Vietnam War? I mean, did the government make the right decision? Was this something that the nation had to do? Uh, did we just kind of step into this hornet's nest and find ourselves unable to get, get out of it? Uh, well, what's interesting uh, for me was meeting you, <laughs> you know, and understanding a lot of what, you know, you did and you know, how you recognize veterans and, you know, what uh, Vietnam to this day, I scratch my head trying to figure out, you know, what we accomplished or it's now a communist country. So we didn't accomplish what our mission was, but I always felt good about my service in Vietnam because I saved lives. And, uh, you know, that was something that I, I loved doing and was really responsible you know, to uh, the Marines for uh, what they did. And I was really proud to be part of, uh, you know, the Fleet Marine Force. But, you know, Vietnam in general, it's still a question for me. And quite honestly, meeting you and and seeing what you've done and being involved in the different organizations and 
participating with the Vietnam veterans, you know, through these events. I mean, we all have this common bond that we don't talk about. And, uh, you know, everyone has a different understanding. And, and as time goes by, uh, I, I think we have all healed. I think we all have suffered silently. We've all figured out a way through this and uh, explaining what Vietnam was to my kids who, you know, studied it in school was, was difficult. Yeah. I didn't have a great explanation. How many of your your combat medic friends, or your Navy corpsmen that you went over there, how many of them made it through the entire tour without getting killed or wounded? Well, I, I went over there. There's an interesting statistic. I went over there with 42 other corpsmen in my class. And when it came time to come home, I was one of three. You know, I didn't keep track of, of everyone, but I knew that, you know, you served a year, and after a year you then rotated out of country, and there were only three of us in our class that, you know, uh, were reunited. So we didn't ask, but, you know, that's a, that's a terrible number. Yeah, and I was in a battle in 1969, and we had two medics, and one was shot in the neck, and the other one was shot right through the eye by a sniper, and it was a very dangerous job, and that statistic is unbelievable. But what you bring to the table is really a positive attitude, a pride in your service, and I think a lot of veterans will enjoy hearing this. So at this time, I will turn it over to Saigon Steve. Well, thank you, Jan. So, Larry, uh, when you yeah. arrived with the chopper into the combat zone, were you one of these people that came down on the on the wire and mm -hmm. picked up people, or were you on the ground uh, with the chopper uh, running out to uh, help the wounded? Right. That's, that's what we did. We landed. We had a big ramp. The ramp came down. Usually the uh, wounded were treated in the field by other corpsmen that were with the grunt units. And we came in, we got them on the helicopter as quickly as we could, got them secure, and then we took off. So uh, the 42 other corpsmen that were in my class, most of them were assigned to grunt units. So they were in the field with the Marines. So being with an air wing, uh, I was one of the lucky ones, I guess. <laughs> I assume when you are tending to the wounded and the person is lying horizontal it takes three people to get them to the chopper right you have yes. a stretcher and so that we takes two people and then i assume you're uh, administering an iv or something that's three people is that right well you know what it depends what's done in the field you know uh our primary mission is to uh you know stop the bleeding clear the airways make sure that they're able to survive the ride back to the field hospital or the uh, hospital ship. They are attended to in the field by their corpsmen with them. So they usually are patched up and, uh, you know, we are not doing much uh, other than getting them to a place where they can be treated as quickly as possible. We were always with the wounded. We came in, uh, you know, after a firefight, in theory, uh, we picked up the wounded and we got out of there really quick. You had to see serious, serious uh, wounds. What does that do to your psyche? Well, you know what? You're, you're in uh, a mode uh, that the adrenaline is rushing. You're there to save a life. You do have walking wounded, so you do have 
people that are able to uh, help, and uh, we take on as many uh, wounded as possible. You know what? It's a job that you have to do, and you, you don't really think about it because you think about it after the fact. That's when you get shaky. But, you know, we had morphine, uh, those uh, Marines that were uh, in pain. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a pretty short ride for us to get them to, uh, you know, a field hospital or a hospital ship. So they weren't crying out in pain. You know, most of it effects by morphine really put you out of it. And, you know, you're not just handling one thing at a time. You're handling many things. So... You know, you don't think about it a lot. You just react. Larry, what was going through your mind on your first medic mission and your last medic mission? What did I get myself into was the first one. And, uh, you know, once, you know, you understand what the job is and and you land and, you know, you, you go into action, you know, you don't do... Thinking is not part of the equation anymore, and we didn't fly every day. We were on rotation, so when you were ready to go, you were ready to go. So it's uh, it's just it, mentally you're prepared for that. So it's it's never uh, a picnic, and it's never anything that you look forward to, uh, but you do look forward to getting back. Well, unlike pilots who know how many missions they have to complete before they can go home, did you have that same kind of a thing, so many missions you had to do? Or did you know this was going to be the last mission uh, on that day? How does that work? No, no. Uh, it's a rotation, you know, uh, and they don't go out every day. So your name is on the list. Uh, when it's your time, uh, you're prepared to go, and, uh, you know, you, you don't count. Because counting is not a good thing. The only thing you do count is when you're a short-timer, you have 30 days to go, that's when the numbers make a lot more sense. And the conversation was always, don't start any long conversations with me. I'm a short-timer. I'm out of here 30 days. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, the future until I got to be a short-timer. So, and that's when you, you get nervous. I think a lot of our listeners, particularly people in other branches of the military, when you say the Navy in Vietnam, you're thinking of the swift boats up and down the Mekong Delta. You had land duty. <laughs> I know. It just well. Here, here's something that you know Marines uh, always give me a hard time about. But you know the Marines are, are a branch of the Navy. <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, yeah. You know, the Navy did that also. It was a different you know group of guys that uh, did those uh, swift boats, and uh, you know we actually had a lot of ships you know on the coast of Vietnam. And we did have, uh, you know, a, a hospital ship there also. So the Navy and the Navy did have Seabees, which did a lot of the construction. So the Navy's a broad branch of uh, of the service, and the Marines are just, uh, you know, the fighting unit for uh, for that branch. The Marines are part of the Navy. Well, you did something very admirable. You saved people's lives. You can't do better than that. No, that's what I felt most proud of when I came home, because certainly when we came home, Vietnam and being a veteran was not anything you bragged about. <laughs> we were not ex exactly well-received. 
It was the 60s. By the way, I have to ask, because you see it in the movies, particularly in the World War II movies, Korea, they're always wounded hollering, medic, medic, medic. Are they hollering corpsman, corpsman, corpsman when you're down there? <laughs> I, I'm in a helicopter. I can't hear a thing. <laughs> but once you're down. You know, the wounded are in a specific area because they are grunt units and they have corpsmen with them. So, you know, yelling for medics or corpsmen were out in the field. By the time we landed, it, this landing zone was secure, and we just, you know, got the wounded, got them on the helicopter, and got them back. It was not as much drama, uh, except when we got ourselves in trouble on occasion when we landed in the middle of firefights. Jan, back to you. Thank you again, Larry. Yeah, I'm glad to share my story. And, and Jan, you know, uh, I got to tell you that, you know, keeping the Vietnam veterans in your mind and in your thoughts and in your prayers, I mean, this is the first time I've had Veterans Day where I've actually had about 30 people email me and thank me for my service. <laughs> How about that? I mean, that's a first. Took a while. <laughs> okay. I give you a lot of credit for that. Well, Larry, you stole my closing line because I was going to say, and I will say, Larry Nordhauser, thank you for your service. <laughs> well, you you are welcome, and I got to tell you that that line uh, I get a lot. I do have a Vietnam veteran plate on my car. I get people that stop me in the parking lot and say that. So, yeah, it's good to hear. It's uh, fifty years late, but it's uh, you know it's good to hear. Well, that wraps up another special episode of Fucat Stories. If you'd like to participate in a future Fucat Stories podcast, email your contact information to fucatstories at gmail.com. That's fucatstories at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Fucat Stories podcast. I'm Saigon Steve.